in Philippians, uh, in Philippians chapter 3, and you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you, uh, if you would like to do so, and you're going to follow along at this time. We're kind of deep into this series on the book of Philippians, and we've kind of cruised right through the first two chapters uh, and dealing with Paul's you know, urging us to, uh, to become participators in the gospel, encouraging us to use our life experiences to help further the gospel, and challenging us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, to also to be united. He also was, was encouraging the Philippian church to, to, to be united in one purpose and one heart and one vision, joining together um, in harmony, you know, singing the same song but expressing ourselves in different ways and celebrating the differences that we all have uh, in our, our faith and in our walk with the Lord. And so we're looking here and, uh, and, and, and we're just trying to go here. And so today... Um, the, the subtitle of my message is, is The High Calling, the, ho- the High Calling, and I want to start out just by asking you uh, a couple questions. Do you, what are your, what are your goals in life? What kind of goals have you set in life? Uh, do you have any goals? Are there any specific things that you are trying to attain, any specific goals that you have established? And I know that generally when you're talking about goals and, and stuff like this, this is a, you know, usually January, first Sunday in January type conversation when everybody's talking about making New Year's resolutions and stuff. But I want to talk to you as it pertains to what we're about to read here in a second. Uh, what, what kind of goals do you have? Do you have any goals? Do you have any spiritual goals? Do you have any spiritual goals in your life, platforms, that, places that you would like to see yourself? You know, where, where are you going in your spirit life? Where are you going in your walk with the Lord? Where are you going? Uh, a, a famous, you know, uh, guy that's uh, well known for his teaching on leadership and, and entrepreneurship and stuff, he, he made this statement. He said, a long time ago, he said, he who aims at nothing is sure to hit it every time. He who aims at nothing is sure to hit it every time. He also said this, outstanding people have one thing in common, an absolute sense of mission. Okay? Outstanding people have one thing in common, and that one thing is this outstanding sense of mission that they are going somewhere, that they have something that they are doing, that they have established goals in their life, that they have established, and, and there's all kinds of aspects. You can break your life down in so many different aspects of creating um, you know, um, career goals, family goals, um, you know, spiritual goals, church goals, uh, financial goals, uh, all these kinds of areas in your life you can break down um, educational goals and, 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 and just, you know, establishing these, these kinds of things. It's one of the things that I, I've been trying to be more and more disciplined in my, my life, that uh, establishing certain goals where I, I, I put it in either in my phone or in something that I'm looking at all the time. So I have one where it's like, you know, I have a goal to read, you know, a book a month, and, and that's just something that I'm trying to do where I'm reading, you know, I, and, and for me, I'm not talking about reading novels, okay, and that's I'm, ta- I'm not talking about entertainment. I'm talking about something that's going to 
educate me and, and teach me certain things or help me see perspectives that I've never thought about before or ideas, uh, things, things from people that would be great mentors to me. And so I, I, I get these books and I accumulate them and I, I start reading and I, I challenge myself in that area. I establish goals in my relationship with Crystal and my relationship with my kids and with the church and with teaching at school and, and being a coach and all these particular areas I can establish goals and what it does is helps keep me focused on what it is that God is, 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 is leading me to. And I found that if I don't establish these goals, that after losing the motivation in my life or losing that moment where God spoke to me and God taught me something, it's easy like a month down the road that I've just completely forgot what it was that he was leading me to do. And I've just kind of, in a way, just lost it. I've lost that thing that God was uh, encouraging and, and compelling me to do. So using that as the backdrop, we're gonna start in Philippians chapter three and we're gonna kind of dive into this and look at, and what we're going to see here, I, I, this particular passage in, in Philippians, I find, has, has been one of my favorite passages all through the, the Bible. Now, it's hard for you to, I mean, you know, the Bible, is the, it's all God's word, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of hard to say, well, this is better than that. It's not like that. I just, I've just always gravitated, I've always appreciated and really liked this particular passage or, or certain verses of, of this area that we're going to read here in Philippians. And so let's kind of dive in and look at this real quick. In Philippians chapter 3, verse, verse 1, starting verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision um, who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so stopping right there, you know, there's... If you, understand, you know, if you read through a lot of Paul's epistles, he spent an enormous amount of time fighting against um, this uh, false doctrine that was being spread through the church, and it was a doctrine of circumcision. It was a doctrine of, and what is circumcision? Uh, circumcision was this thing that the Jews saw as, as necessary for being a part of God's family, all right? That it was a necessary thing for, for people to do to be a part of God's family, and so even after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and brought in the new covenant, there were still people uh, that were promoting the fact that you had to go through circumcision in order to be a believer, to be a Christ follower, which was contrary to what Jesus taught. And so he was constantly dealing with people that were trying to teach this false doctrine and getting people focused on works and not on grace. All right? And so he says right there, he says, although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and, I, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness uh, of my own, delivered, derived from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right. So Paul here goes in this long thing right here, just some really, really good stuff where he breaks down this, this passion, this mission of his. Now all the disciples uh, in the early church made significant contributions to the move of God in the New Testament church. Every single one of them. You look back in the things that they did and, and, and the impact that, that the, the original 12, for example, the original 12 made a significant impact. They were significantly used by God, by the Holy Spirit, to establish the church on the earth. And then, obviously, once persecution happened and then they were all spread out because of kind of fleeing from per- persecution, then the gospel began to kind of go out with them all across the world. And you, you cannot create, but you cannot create a movement where the Bible says in the book of Acts that the church added to their number daily with just 12 guys. Just 12 guys all by themselves is not going to create a movement that's going to be so great that they're going to be constantly adding to the church so much so that the Bible says that every day people were getting saved and being added to the church. It was, it's going to take much more than that. Now, they, they may have been the face of the movement, but it took many more disciples, many more that probably, and even throughout the book of Acts, go unnamed. We don't even know who they are. People that were faithful to God, people that prayed hard, people that worshiped God, people that, were, that, that reached out and witnessed and, 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 and told people about Jesus. That We don't even know their names, but we know that they had to be there because it would take far more than just 12 if you're trying to make the impact that the early church was making in that particular culture. They needed help to to make this significant movement happen. And of course, I'm not in any way wanting to minimize what the disciples accomplished by any means, what they were able to do, and the impact that they had. It was was foundational. the, The church at that time, they needed that leadership structure there. They needed people that had been with Jesus, that had been taught the right way, that had been taught everything that Jesus wanted them to know to to establish, you know, you know, a sense of direction and, and purity and integrity and in what was being taught. But Paul, Paul was kind of a different dude. He just, he was different than all the other disciples. If you think about them, most of the 12 disciples, if you kind of do some study on them, when Jesus recruited them, most of them were extremely young. Some theologians believe that many of the disciples when recruited by Jesus were just teenagers that Jesus kind of found these guys. They were, they were young men, and he recruited them in. And one of the other things that we know about the disciples is that they were extremely uneducated. You know, cer- certainly they may have had a, a certain level of knowledge about God. They probably had a certain level, certain, you know, kind of knowledge about 
um, you know, the, the first five books of the Bible and Jehovah and the Jewish traditions and all these kinds of things, but they were uneducated when it came to understanding fully all the laws of God and all the commandments of God and all the teachings of God. They were just, they were rookies is what they were. And uh, that's who they were. They were young and they were, they were rookies. And obviously, when you think about that, you think about those 12 disciples, there's a lot you can learn from that. Uh, you may be young or uneducated, but if you spend some time with Jesus, uh, he can use you to do some phenomenal things. You don't have to go to cemetery to do an incredible thing. Oh, I'm sorry, seminary to do an incredible thing for God. You just got to be available you got to be willing to drop your nets and follow him. When he says, follow me, you got to be obedient and be willing. And uh, if you'll do that, if you'll be that kind of person, he could take you, whether you've been in the church all your life or whether you've been in the church very little, and he can use the talents and the abilities he's placed inside of you to make a significant difference. We learned that from the 12 disciples. They were necessary to teach us that you don't have to be an expert in the Bible and you don't have to be an expert in the kingdom of God to be used by God. You don't. You just gotta be willing. You gotta be passionate. You gotta be willing to step out there and do what God tells you to do. Paul, on the other hand, though, he was different than those guys. He was different than the 12. Um, he, he was... Um, he wasn't in on the movement at the beginning with Jesus. He didn't spend any that I'm aware of t- personal time with Jesus while Jesus was alive. Now we know Paul talks about you know his relationship with Jesus, but it was all after the fact, after Jesus had already died. We we don't really see Paul spending time with Jesus while Jesus was on earth at that particular time. If Paul was even around, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a part of the religious rulers that, that, that uh, criticized and, and persecuted Jesus and, and his disciples. He was, however, even though he didn't spend any time with Jesus, he was extremely educated and committed to the Jewish teachings and customs. And we're not talking about just a casual follower here. This dude, was he was, he was the radical. He was the extremist. He was the crazy guy that's like, hey, buddy, you're taking this a little too far. You know, it's, come on, man. You know, that's, that's who Paul was. He was that dude. Um, and so he gives us this long list of why if anybody has reason to boast, if anybody has reason to boast in, in who they are and uh, what they have accomplished in their life, then, then he's certainly anybody. He says, you know, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born an Israeli from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, listing all the things that are important to the Jewish traditions and customs. He says, I was a Hebrew. I was a member of an elite religious group, man. I had, I had become one of the elite of the elite when it came to, you know, the God squad. He was, he was a part of it, man. He was, he was a part of that group, man. He was a part of the, the Navy SEALs of, of God. You know, that's, that's who he was. And he's, he's saying, I have every reason to boast about 
me and my accomplishments and what I've done. He says, I was passionate about my beliefs. If you have question about my zeal and my passion, he said, man, I took it as far as I could possibly take it. Man, I was above and beyond even other people around me. And he said, when it came to the law, I was perfect. I was perfect. I followed the letter of the law to the T. I was found blameless. This is who Paul was. This is what he says. He said, if anybody has reason to boast about what they've accomplished in their life, he says, I have reason to boast. Look at all this stuff that I've done. In modern day terms, maybe it would sound like I was, I was born an American from an influential bloodline, from an influential family in our country. I'm a, I'm a true conservative. I have a, I have a doctorate and a master's in theology. I know, and I teach it. I, I know more than anybody else. Man, I am there. I know it. I'm a vocal leader in the nation. Okay? I am, and I have impeccable integrity. Impeccable integrity. I have position, I have clout, I have leadership, I have all of these things that the world would point and say, man, that guy right there has got it all together. He is important, he is powerful, he has all the things going for him. This is what Paul is saying, that he is among the best of the best. He is a part of the nation's elite And now that he has found Christ, now that he has found Christ, what does all that mean to him? What does all that mean to him? He says this, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He, he, he calls those things, those things that I've just listed, he calls them three things. Two times he says they're lost. They're like a loss to me. They're like a loss. And one time he calls them rubbish. He is saying that it's like losing. It's like losing. These things, all of these things are like losing, like losing. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate to lose. I, I got an amen. That's right. I, I hate to lose. Um, I just don't, you know, I don't like losing. And it's, I will say, though, that now, that I am, you know, in my 30s and stuff, it's, it's kind of settled down a little bit. It was much more aggressive when I was in my 20s. As a youth pastor, I just wouldn't lose. And I was constantly accused of changing the rules to benefit me. Now, I don't know, put your hand down back there, okay? That's, we don't need no testimony in here. <clears throat> All right. I don't know where they would get that from, but uh, I, I, I played fair. I played fair, all right? 
but I was constant, but I, 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 I just don't like to rule. And it's just one of those things that's it's been a part of, of um, pe- people will say, you know, just have fun. Well, to me, uh, playing to win is fun. I mean, that's just it. Playing to win is fun. I, like, I will tell you this. If I, um, because I, 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 I am a passionate basketball player. I love to play basketball. If I go out on a basketball court to play basketball, I'm going to play to win. And I don't care who I'm playing against, with the exception of probably my, my children when they were much younger. Okay? Now I actually have to try. Because I only got a couple, I only got a couple drives, and it's, you know, I'm bending over, wheezing, you know. Uh, I, I, if I go out on the basketball court, and let's just say we're out there, and there's, you know, there's ten of us, we're about to play some basketball. We get out there playing. If if everybody out there on the course is out there, just like, you know, like eh, just throwing some stuff up, just goofing around, laughing, I just be like, you know what, this, I ain't got time for this. I'll just, I'll just stop playing. I'm not going to get mad at nobody. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be like, oh, what's, I'll just be like, you know, I got better things to do with my time. I'm not here to play real basketball. I ain't out here to play all this mamby-pamby, let's just goof around and be silly right now. This ain't silly time for me. I want to play. We're going to play. We're going to play it right. And, and my team's going to play to win. All right? And I'm going to do everything I can. I, I'm, am, I, am I making myself look bad right now? Some of you are looking at me like, you're the pastor of the church, man. I, I just, uh, that's just who I am, man. I'm sorry, okay. I, I heard this, I don't know if you've ever heard this guy speak before. His name's Michael Jr. Anybody ever heard Michael Jr. speak before? Okay, none of you. Um, he's, uh, he's actually a Christian comedian. He does some pretty good stuff, and, uh, and he was telling this story one time about how they always say that in sports you can, um, you learn life lessons, and, you know, by playing sports and, 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 and like your coaches say, the things that you're learning today, you know, are going to help you out for the rest of your life. So he says that I was at, at my job one day, he says I worked at a, um, a car detailing shop and cleaning cars. And uh, one day this guy, uh, one of the clients there at the car dealing shop, you know, brought, had brought his car, and I cleaned it. It was this really, really, really fancy, nice little car. We cleaned it. We made it look really good, and I, I got in it to move it. I just decided I was going to go take it for a joyride. So I just took it for a joyride, and I went driving around just kind of feeling how cool it was and stuff like that, and I brought it back and, 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 and put it back. Well, the, the owner of the car found out about it, and he got mad. And uh, so he calls in and chews uh, the, the, the owner of the business out, you know, because his, you know, his employee took the car for a joyride and, and he decided to remove all of his counts from that particular car shop. And so the owner then calls in him uh, to have a meeting with him and he's irate. He's chewing him out. What are you thinking? I can't believe that you would do something like this. You know, what's the problem with you? And he said, the only thing I could think was back when what, what my coach used to tell me. So he said, I just told him, he said, well, the important thing is, is I went out there and I had fun. And you win some and you lose some. <laughs> and, of course, he was fired. You see, that doesn't, doesn't work like that. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work like that in the real life. All right? But uh, I, I don't like to lose. I'm, I just, just who I am. I don't like to lose. And when I, and I'm doing something, I want to do it to the best that I can do it. 
I want to try to do it the best that I can. Now, my best not always, may not always be the greatest, but I'm going to keep trying harder to be the best that I could possibly be and to go further. I want, because I want to win in life. I want to win with, with my children. I want to win in my relationships. I want to win in my job. I want to win as being a pastor. And not, not so that I can win, but so that I can be pleasing and honorable to the Lord so that, because it's worship to him. It's honoring him when I live my life with excellence, okay? And that's the motivation. That's the reason. And so Paul here, though, talking about all of these earthly things that he has accomplished in his life, he says, those things in my life, they're like losing. They're like a loss to me. And um, all of these prestigious things, they're like, they're like a loss. They're, they're a negative, all right? They, and that, that word actually means like damage. He says, they're like damage to me. He takes it even one step further when he calls it rubbish. He goes on there in that next verse, and he calls it rubbish. That word rubbish in the Greek language, it means any refuse or as the excrement of animals. That's what he's calling all that like, the excrement of animals, all right, of things that are worthless and detestable. Things that are worthless and detestable. And he's saying all of these things, these prestigious things that I have accomplished in my life, they mean nothing to me. They mean nothing to me. I wonder if we could say the same thing. Or do we put way too much importance in earthly accomplishments, in earthly possessions, in earthly things? Because Paul here establishes the priority that everything that I could possibly amass, everything that I could possibly gain, fame, prestige, honor, all of these things are worthless compared to knowing Jesus. Compared to knowing Jesus. Do we worship Jesus like that, that everything in our life is meaningless compared to him? Do we serve him like that, that everything in our life is meaningless compared to him? And I know, listen, we, we got to work our jobs, and we got to make a living, and that's biblical, and God wants you to do that. He, he has placed you in the environment where he wants you to be. He's placed you in the place, in the mission field where he wants you to be so that you can make an impact in that particular area. But sometimes it's just easy to begin to prioritize and honor the things in our life that Jesus didn't necessarily honor and make those to be the chief end of life. Paul says it's, it's worthless. Paul goes on, he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I don't want to just know Christ. I don't want to just know about him. I don't want to just know, you know, who he is. I want to know the power. I want to know the power behind his resurrection. Becoming like him in death so that I can attain the resurrection and he goes on, he says, so I press on 
forgetting what is behind, I press on ahead. And he says here, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now when he says, thank you for that. Sorry. When he says forgetting what is behind, what is he actually forgetting? All the good things that he's accomplished in his life. Sometimes we look at this particular passage of scripture and we think, you know, it's, we, we quote this when it's like bad things are happening to us. Now, certainly we know that Paul's had some bad stuff happen to him as well, but Paul didn't really, at this particular moment, he didn't list any bad things. He just got done listing all the good things in his life. He just got done listing all of the accomplishments, all the things that he's done, all the things that he's achieved. And then after saying all of these things in in this, this noble, prestigious place that he's finding himself in, he says, man, I am forgetting what has happened in my past. I am forgetting what is behind me. A lot of times we think, oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget the hurt and negativity and, and, and difficulty and pain and trials that I've had. And yes, you should forget all of those things that press on too. But you know what? You should also forget behind you all of the accomplishments that you have done in your life that you think that are so great, okay, compared to where you are right now and where God wants you to go, okay? So, so what? So what? You've, you know, you, you taught Sunday school for 20 years. Paul says, I forget what is behind and I press on towards what is ahead. So what? You went through training, or you, you've done this, or you've memorized this, and you've been here, and you've done that, and you've gone on this mission trip, and you've done, you, so what? A lot of times we could take all the things that we've done in our past, and we could create monuments, and then what we do is we kind of stand there, and we look at all the things that we've accomplished in our past, and think, wow, I've done some really good stuff. And while looking back at all these great things, we never go where God wants us to go right now. And that's why Paul says, I forget what is behind me. I'm forgetting it. Forgetting what is behind. Forget about all the great things that I've done. All the great accomplishments. Look, God has given me today. And I believe he's going to give me tomorrow. And there's something he wants me to do. While I have breath, I have something to do. You have something to do. While you have breath, you have something to do. God has commissioned you. He has anointed you. He has placed you. He, is, he wants to do incredible things through you. Okay? But as you have to see it, you have to recognize it, and you have to say, here I am. Okay? you got to drop the nets and follow him, just like the disciples. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's the upward call of God. What is the upward call of God? What is the upward call of God? And he's just saying, I press on to the call of God. But he throws in this word here, it's the upward call of God. Uh, it could be said like this, the the higher invitation of God. The higher invitation of God. 
Have you ever heard the expression, do your best? You ever heard that right? Just, just do your best, right? Just do your best. You got kids and, hey, hey, son, just do your best. Do your best. He's like, oh, wait, say, well, you know, I did my best. What is that? Um, have you ever really thought about that phrase? What does it mean when somebody says, hey, just do your best? What does that mean? I tell you what it sounds like to me. I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. Um, it sounds like permission just to get by. It sounds like permission to just, just get by, just do your best, almost like that'll have to be good enough. Just do your best. What this does, what this just do your best or that'll just be good enough, what this does, though, is this actually, this, it causes complacency in our lives, complacency. And complacency thrives when hidden behind rationalizations, like I did my best or that's good enough. Complacency in our life, it thrives when it is hidden behind the excuse or the rationalization that I did my best or that just will have to be good enough. There's a, um, this little book, this an article, news magazine type thing, it's called Bits and Pieces, and they had an excerpt out of one of their magazines that said this one time. It said, complacency is a blight that saps energy, dulls attitude, and causes a drain on the brain. The first symptom is satisfaction with things as they are. The second is rejection of things as they might be. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and abhor the new. Like water, complacent people follow the easiest course downhill. They draw false strength from looking back. They draw false strengths from looking back. Rob, if you'll come. This is, um, it almost it seems the exact opposite of what Paul is telling us here in Philippians chapter 3. Forgetting what is behind, I press on to the high calling, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a book that I'm, I'm in the middle of reading right now. It's this book that's called Do Hard Things um, by Alex and Brent Harris. The crazy thing is, is this book was written probably about 10 years ago. And these two guys that wrote this book, they were teenagers when they wrote this book. They were teenagers. And they write this book that says that challenges, actually it's a book written by teens for teens. I know I'm not a teen, but I can learn, right? I can learn. And uh, 
the whole premise of the book is to challenge teenagers to rebel against society's low standards. Because our, our society, they go on and on in this book about how teenagers today <clears throat> are, are given a pass. It's like if a teenager has to learn how to wash dishes, it's like, oh my gosh, wow, you're incredible. You learned how to wash dishes. You cut the grass, man. Way to go. And they go on to explain how the word teenager, the word teenager wasn't even used in our culture until the 1950s. That's the first time the word teenager was ever used in any article or printing in our culture in America. It's the first time. And he says, you you go back 100 years, 200 years, and you found that teenagers, teenagers were making a living. Teenagers were becoming politicians. Teenagers, okay, were being, were leaders in in armies. They were leaders of of naval ships. And, And how deluded our culture has become where we water down these expectations that, you know, the expectations we have of young people. Well, they're just going to sit around and play PlayStation and just mooch off their parents until one day they become an adult and they'll figure it out. And it's really good. It's really a lot of good stuff in there. But they, they address this issue of complacency here. They address this issue on Here's one of the things, I, I could pull out a thousand things in this particular book that it really kind of goes right along here with what Paul is, what Paul is saying, that his mission and his goal in life, and he said, this, this guy Alex Harris and Do Hard Things, he says, over time, refusing to reach higher, try harder, and risk more robs us of the glorious purpose and wonderful future God has created us for. The refusal to reach higher Try harder and risk more robs us. It robs you of the glorious future that God has for you. It robs you. It takes away of something that God wants you to have in the future because you're not willing to try anymore. You're not willing to try difficult things. You're not willing to take a risk and to step out there sometimes. And you know, because it's so easy as an adult, and I, I know the temptation on my own as well, just to get stuck in your ways and, and to say, well, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not good at. And I'm just gonna establish myself and ruin myself in this core belief that I can do this and I can't do this. And those certainly aren't the words of God over our life, but limitations that we've placed upon ourselves. But Paul here, writing from prison, writing from prison in a place where he knows that it could be the last moments of his life, he says this, I am going to press on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That the call of God in his life is a higher calling. That God is calling him higher and higher and higher. That all the things that he's done in his past are just like animal poop to him because God is calling him to greater things. 
And if God is calling the Apostle Paul at that moment in his life where everything looks like it could all be over, if God is calling him to higher things, he's calling you to higher things too. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and we all have that high calling. We all have that high calling. And we all can have the same mindset. I'm gonna forget what is behind, and I'm gonna press on. I'm gonna press forward. Why would you need to press anything? Because it's hard sometimes, because it's not easy, because it doesn't come natural. That's why we press. That's why we push forward. And we could be like Paul right here in this situation and say, I'm gonna answer the call of God to go higher, to go further, to risk more, to try hard things, to do hard things. Because God is not through with me yet. Will you stand to your feet this morning?